0: Go to patreon.com slash shifting culture to support all that we are doing. Your support means that we can continue to help the body of Christ look more like Jesus. Again, go to patreon.com slash shifting culture. Thank you so much. Now, on to the episode. I think
1: a lot of people are really discouraged in their faith because they see perhaps you could say really big trees that have rotten fruit, you know, that that we see. Big leaders that we've all that are kind of distant and far away from us, and then over the years you pick the fruit and you realize oh it's actually rotten and it could be really distressing and discouraging. So I think that that kind of bringing us back to the small tree that bears much fruit is so important and encouraging, and so essential just to remind us that it doesn't matter if we're the big tree if we have rotten fruit. You know that we need to have that that fruitiness.
0: Hello, and welcome to the Shifting Culture Podcast, in which we have conversations about the culture we create and the impact we could make. We long to see the body of Christ look like Jesus. I'm your host, Joshua Johnson. Go to shiftingculturalpodcast.com to interact and donate. And don't forget to hit the follow button on your favorite podcast app to be notified when new episodes come out each week. And go leave a rating and review. It's easy. It only takes a second, and it helps us find new listeners to the show. Just go to the show page on the app that you're using right now and hit five stars. Thank you so much. You know what else would help us out? Share this podcast with your friends, family, your network. Tell them how much you enjoy it and let them know they should be listening as well. If you are new here, welcome. We, if you want to dig deeper, find us on social media at Shifting Culture Podcast, where I post video clips and quotes and interact with all of you. Previous guests on the show have included Sharon Hottie Miller, Kat Armus, and Jessica Huden Wilson. You can go back, listen to those episodes and more but today's guest is Joy Clarkson. Joy Clarkson is the author of Aggressively Happy and host of the popular podcast, Speaking with Joy. She is the book's editor at Plough Quarterly and a research associate in theology and literature at King's College London. Joy and I have a great conversation around the metaphors that shape our faith. We talk about rootedness when we are on the move. We get into bad metaphors we like to use when, that are harming the way that we view ourselves like we are a machine and cancer is a battle. We talk about paying attention to the season that we're in and the fruit that comes in time and in season. We talk birth and rebirth, the meaning of creation and paying attention to art and beauty to create meaning out of our lives. So join us as we dive into the metaphors that breathe meaning into our everyday lives. Here's my conversation with Joy Clarkson. Joy, welcome to the podcast. Really excited to have you on. Thank you so much for joining me.
1: Yeah, I'm very happy to be here.
0: I would love to hear and start with how metaphor has really helped shape your faith in your own life. I know you wrote this book, You Are a Tree, and uh, it's not literal. It's a metaphor. So how have metaphors helped you in your faith?
1: Well, I think the first place to start would be to say that scripture has nourished my faith and scripture is just absolutely packed full of metaphors. And and I think that sometimes we can approach the Bible as a list of rules or kind of like, you know, we, we go when we want to know what guidance we need for life. But when we do that, sometimes we miss the kind of rich, poetic nature of so much of scripture Which is really just a different way of saying we miss miss the rich poetic nature of life that there that we see meaning in that things in the world give us words for um, kind of the invisible things that we experience. So, a specific example of that is in the book. I open by talking about kind of my experience of what you might call rootlessness. My family moved seventeen times and six times internationally, and. So when I came to the end of my doctoral studies and I was facing another move, I just kind of had this, you call it an emotional crisis, but I think it was a little bit of a spiritual crisis too of, you know, where do I belong? Where am I meant to put my roots down? How can I I invest in something in the world uh, if I don't know where I belong? And I had this kind of moment where a metaphor came to me, which was I'm a potted plant. And I thought of this because I had been taking care of this little potted plant through the kind of last year of my doctoral studies. And, and now that I was moving, I was trying to decide what to do with it. And it was kind of gone to that place where it had grown a little bit too big for its pot. So it was a little stringy. And I thought, do I just throw it away? But that seems a shame. I've been taking care of it. and Or do I give it to somebody else? But then it's like not the most attractive plant. So, you know, I feel kind of bad handing it on. And then I thought, well, maybe I could plant it because I my flat was attached to this little garden that had very old trees. And then I had this horrible moment where I thought, well, if I planted it; might die because a lot of times, if you try to plant potted plants, they kind of have root shock and they they die. And then I thought, Oh no, I'm I'm like a potted plant. You've, I've just been growing in this little tiny pot for years and years, and I'm too big for my pot. But if I don't put my roots down somewhere, I'm you know what use am I to anybody? But then what if you put me down and I and I couldn't put down roots? And being able to kind of articulate that—that's how I felt. Was greatly relieving, but then it also led me to start thinking about rootedness and being planted and bearing fruit, and kind of sitting with that metaphor in scripture, and especially in Psalm one, where it describes the blessed person as a tree, you know, that is that is planted, that is um, by streams of living water, so it's nourished by God, um, that bears fruit in season, not all the time, and that has this kind of enduring sense of of flourishing, and so. Sitting with those metaphors kind of was a way that actually practically led me through the kind of crisis of feeling unrooted and and gave me words for that and also gave me a sense of direction. You know, if I was feeling rootless, then I needed a place to put down roots. And that doesn't always mean a literal place. Sometimes it means a person. It means planting in relationships and family. It can mean planting in your sense of vocation it can mean planting in a denomination or in a you know in a in a body of believers but just having that language of metaphor from scripture helped me think about how to move forward in my life
0: so as you look back on your life and you look back on a lot of moves and a lot of going from one place to another was there anything that helped keep you rooted while you were on the move
1: yeah so i think Uh, The first thing that comes to mind is just relationships. So, you know, I think if you talk to anybody who has had that experience of moving a lot, whether it was for military or for missions or for ministry in general, I think something that can be kind of really important is having a sense that there are people to whom you belong in the world, even if you don't belong to a particular place. And um, so I think feeling close to my family, feeling like I had roots uh, you know, roots are those things that develop over many, many years. They're things that offer you nourishment, and they're things that are kind of under the surface of who you are, but that define who you are. And all of those things are things I get from my long-term relationships with my family and with others. So I think I think that was a big part of of giving me a sense of rootedness, even even when I traveled around the world. Um, and then I think also you know, this This may sound very Christianese, but I think it is true. I think having a sense of identity in Christ and as a Christian is also really important. I had this really cool experience recently where I was in Hong Kong and I went to church at the oldest Chinese speaking church in, in Hong Kong. And it just happens to be the same tradition. So I'm Anglican and it's, it's Anglican church. And so I kind of knew the arc of the service. And I had this sense that even though I was in a different place, it spoke a different language from me. I belong to this place because we're worshiping the same God. And it's even using the same kind of structure of the prayers you say and the songs that you sing. And so I think even that, that sense of being rooted in the kingdom of God and that you can find fellow believers anywhere in the world uh, and worship anywhere in the world is also something that's given me a sense of rootedness.
0: I think that's really helpful for a lot of people uh, a lot of people are on the move and, you know, I work with a lot of uh, missionaries and I, you know, help people. And that's a, a big concern with parents, uh, with unique. you know children going around the world. What does it look like to be rooted in, in a place, in a people, uh, in Jesus, in a way that yeah. doesn't give them a place of, you know, unsettledness that would help them wander through life? How does family help as we go through these different seasons of life? If we're a tree and we're looking at our different seasons seasons that we're being nourished by, by the river, God is giving us nourishment and we're bearing fruits in time. How does family and the people around us help us walk through the seasons that God has given us?
1: So to answer that, I'm going to do a little bit of tree nerdery, uh, which I did while I was... Perfect. Let's do it. <laughs> while I was researching for the book, uh, which is that You know, when you hear the metaphor of you are a tree, it sounds very singular, right? Like it sounds like a tree is one thing that's kind of its own entity. But one of the really interesting things about trees, if you kind of research them, especially more recently, there's a great book called The Secret Life of Trees, is that they're actually very interdependent. And there's kind of like mother-child relationships with various trees. You can have like a little offshoot. And um, there's this really interesting thing that they found in forests where even if there's a stump of a tree, so it has no leaves, which if we go back to our science lessons as a child would mean that it cannot photosynthesize, which would mean that it cannot live, they'll cut into it and they'll still find green because the other trees will send nourishment to that tree that's, that's a stump through through their roots through and through the, the, the fungi that kind of communicates, a little communication system. And the reason I mentioned that when you talk about kind of the seasons that we go through is that I think that even if we think of ourselves as a tree, we think of ourselves as going through winter or being in a dry spell, we need other people sometimes to send nourishment to our roots. We, we sometimes actually, no matter how dedicated we are or how good our self-care routine is or how good our prayer is, we actually need the nourishment of other people at, at certain seasons in our life. So I think, I think that's an element of it. And I think also having other people in these different seasons can help us recognize when we're having changing seasons, they can help you remember that you may be exhausted right now in your springtime season, but you had a long winter. And this is actually, it's good that you're exhausted because it means that there's life and there's abundance. And having people who've seen you over the long course of your life gives you perspective, I think, that that just being alone or, or not having those long-term relationships doesn't. So those are kind of two things that come to mind. One is that we need people sometimes to send us nourishment when we can't nourish ourselves. And that that's what trees do. And we're like a tree in that way. Trees are never just independent. And also that people having seen us through many seasons gives us perspective and can give us encouragement to kind of either endure or embrace or celebrate the season that we're in, even when we are kind of having a hard time gaining that perspective ourselves.
0: So you you talked to, at the beginning of moving from I'm a potted plat to I am a tree and how that metaphor actually helps shape the way that you started thinking about your season and what you needed and what, what God was doing in your life at that point. What are some some metaphors that we use as humans that are not helpful to us that actually don't give us a, a flourishing, beautiful life full of a wonder and amazement, but actually <laughs> give us a, a place of, of dearth or death or or places where we don't feel like we're actually living, what are some bad metaphors that don't help us?
1: So I'll give you two off the top of my head. And I love this question, but I'll I'll start with a little proviso, which is I'll say that I think all metaphors can bear some truth, like they can bear a little bit of truth, but there are some that are more appropriate than others. And also I think that the danger often comes when we forget that they are metaphors, that they don't encompass the whole truth. So one of a good example of that is, um, I think that, let me talk about this in the book, that talking about ourselves like a machine or a computer is it's really easy to do because we see machines and computers everywhere we are. You and I are talking through various machines, computers, microphones, headphones. So it makes sense that we often draw on machine and computer language to describe ourselves. And if you're thinking to yourself, no, we don't. Think about how you talk about... You need to update your friend, like your friend is a like you have a software. You need to download it to your friend about what's been happening in your life. We talk about adjusting to you know to life circumstances, like you're kind of like like if I can just screw in the screws a little tighter, then this this new house and this new job will will feel better, right? That it's just something I could do, fix, and it'll be done, rather than something that takes a long time or lots of different adjustments or things like. I need to recharge, right? That if you're exhausted, all you need to do is just sit with yourself plugged into something, whether it's a TV or, you know, a nap, and you'll just be better, right? That we're like computers that just need one source of charging and we're done. Now, the reason we have all these metaphors is they do describe something, right? Like a good weekend, a time away, does feel like uh, filling up our energy, kind of like a computer being recharged. But the problem is, is that if you're deeply exhausted, if you're in kind of a burnout stage, then describing yourself in that way will lead you to frustration and harshness with yourself because you'll be like, but I had my weekend away. I unplugged. Why am I not better? Like, you know, what's wrong with me? And then even just the way we talk about productivity, right? That has more Produce can be the language of a tree, but I think often when we use it, we're using it like a production line, right? Like a like a manufacturing center. And with that, we're expecting ourselves, like our machines, I expect my computer to act the same way every day. I don't want it to change. I want it just to be the same. I want it to be able to do the same thing, have the same output, be recharged in the same way every day. And when we describe ourselves as machines, that's how we start to interact with ourselves. We start to think, I should be able to expect the same thing of myself every day. I need the same thing every day. And what I'm oriented toward is production, productivity. And then if we don't do that, then we 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 start to kind of be harsh on ourselves, try to push ourselves. We try to do the same thing over and over again and find ourselves more and more exhausted. And then we kind of get in this vicious cycle. So I think that just being aware of the limitations of that metaphor and going, you know, actually, I'm, I'm not. machine. I, you know, I live in Scotland and it is just grim from like January to April. And I'm, to be honest, it's like grim until January to like May, maybe June. It's, it's dark, it's cold, it's rainy. And I'm just, I, I've lived here almost a decade. I'm just not as, as, I'm not as functional of a human being from in those dark months, especially January and February. And if I Beat myself up about that because I'm a computer that should be able to work the same way every single day. Then I will just I'll just burn myself out. I'll get depressed. I'll start hating myself. Instead of a more a more fruitful way of engaging with that would be to say, no, I'm a tree. It's winter. All my leaves have fallen off. Um, This is okay. This is just a season, and it's a it's a it's a season that has a purpose. We need times when we are less active, less fruitful. And right now what I need to do is conserve energy, put my roots down deep, uh, figure out what I need to survive the winter. You know, that that's something you think about a lot. I think lot, a lot in Scotland more than I used to. So that's a long rambling answer, but I think that's a, uh, and then I, I'll say, because I went longer on that than I'm into. The other one I was going to use is the metaphor of battle for health, whether it's physical or mental health, because I think it's intuitive to speak about that, but your body and your mind are not an opponent you need to kill. And so that is, that's another one that I could go into more depth, but those are kind of ones that come to mind.
0: I think that's really helpful because that actually brings us to this place of, man, because we are, if we are a machine and we're not being productive. Uh, there's something wrong with us. I think it brings us into this place of depression and anxiety. And that's a lot of people are suffering from these days. And it, I mean, it very well could be the way that we speak about ourselves, the way we speak to one another, the way we think about ourselves uh, as machines and not as, as humans and trees and things in season, because if we're a machine We don't think about rootedness as productivity, and we don't think that it will actually bear much fruit later on in life in due season. We actually just think that we're not producing anything, and so there's something wrong with us. How can we get to this place of saying, man, there isn't something wrong with us if we're not so-called in this productivity lane and producing external fruit at the at the moment
1: that's a a really good question and something i want to add to that is i was just thinking as you were describing that that i think the machine metaphor does create a lot of anxiety because if you're a machine malfunctioning and you can't figure out how to make yourself function then there's no like future hope until you can figure out how to make yourself function whereas if you're a tree then a lot of what you're you have to do is just endure seasons and to be honest that is a lot of what I've experienced in life is that a lot of seasons, you just have to faithfully live through them. You know, you can't magically make them. If you, if you have a new baby, you can't magically make the new baby sleep. You just have to kind of endure that season of, you know, of sleeplessness. And and it will pass, you know, and there is hope in that, that if you're in this season, it will pass. But, you, but it, it also gives you a greater sense of agency. So I think that's where I turn kind of what's your action point. So if you're feeling burned out right now and you're feeling like, well, there's no use in doing a rooted thing, kind of let yourself sit with this question of what season am I in, right? And if it is that winter season and most of what you're doing is putting down roots. And I think there's lots of seasons like this. I'll I'll name a few and maybe my might, listeners might relate. So I think like when I was, so I, I did my PhD and that was basically, I mean, I didn't do my PhD for eight years, but it was the the period of doing masters and phd and then kind of getting ready for a job was about 7 years and it was a good season but it was a lot of just doing hard work and not seeing a ton of payoff for a long time so that could be a season where you just where it kind of feels like winter winters can be very long seasons in life they can they can be almost a decade i think also like when you have really little kids cuz it's a lot of just relentless doing the same thing every single day going, does this actually have a spiritual purpose or am I just like a glorified, whatever, you know, or planting a church when, when you're kind of, I'm watching my brother-in-law put in so much effort into nurturing congregation and you don't maybe see a lot payoff. So those are all seasons where it can feel really like, well, what's, what's the point of this? But I think if you if you say to yourself, okay, I think I might be in a winter season. I think what I am called to in this season is to have roots growing deep down. And I can't see the fruit of that, but I think that's where I am. I think it can also turn two things is it can give you hope because it can make you think not all seasons will be like this. Secondly, it can give you a sense of agency because if you are in winter, what do you need in winter? Do you need something to keep you warm? Do you need more nourishment? You know, are you feeling kind of depleted? Well, what can you do in your life to to create more nourishment? Do you need something that will help you survive? What do you need to survive? You know, and I think asking questions like that can kind of open up a sense of purpose and of agency and of hope in those seasons. To find value in seasons where the fruit is not immediately seen, but you know you're investing something good, and someday you will, ten years from now, find that you have a fairly functional human being that can eat and even put on clothes by themselves or that you're getting to teach the things that you spent hours reading in the library or that you now see the kids of the people you've baptized getting baptized and that those things take a long time. They're, they're long seasons, but they're worthwhile. And I think that we're able to live with those seasons better if we kind of accept them and then think about what we
0: need why do we we think we need to rush through seasons why do we think that we need to to get something done quickly and fast it yeah. feels like you know in this we're, we're living in an accelerated age something that mm-hmm. goes very quickly very fast and i think a right. lot of people feel like they're always behind that they need yeah. to catch up to something or maybe because we see everybody everywhere all at once so how can we slow down and say that life, actually, there is seasons, we can slow down. How how do we get out of this accelerated age, mm-hmm. fast pacedness of our life these days?
1: Yeah. Well, I think part of the reason we want to, sometimes we want to rush through seasons is that some seasons are just hard. Like, I don't like winter. It's rough and I want to be done with it. <laughs> So that's a part of it. But but I think that when it comes to that, that sense of kind of the hurried, you know, the the violence, the hurried violence of of modern life. I think part of it just comes down to acknowledging that that is the case, you know, starting to notice it around yourself. And that was actually one of the main things I wanted people out of the book was I wanted them to pay attention to their lives, right? Pay attention to your life. Pay attention to what season you're in. Look at the world outside. See how seasons change it, and think about yourself. And think about how does that reflect what's inside of me. So pay attention to your own life, but also to the kind of cultural messages that are influencing your life. One of which might be that sense of we want easy access to things immediately, and we want to not remember that there are ever seasons. You know, I think I think about this. One of the great examples of this is we all go to the grocery store and expect to be able to get apples no matter what month of the year it is, right? So we live in a a world that literally kind of erases the seasons. So I think sometimes it's not that we're resisting the seasons. It's just that we functionally don't have to remember them in the modern world. And of course, the irony of that is that it is actually exhausting the earth, right? Because trees can't produce apples at all times of the year. So If we're going to get them, then we have to spend a lot of money to send someone away to get one from another country and bring it back. So I think kind of paying attention to that makes you go, oh, well, maybe living in my own season is a part of not exhausting myself, just like we eating the seasons near you is most more delicious and less exhausting for the earth and the economy. So I think just paying attention and then also actively resisting, I think, the idea that what makes you valuable as a human being and as a Christian is what you produce. Because I think that is a big part of it, right? If we are machines, machines are machines are for a purpose. We don't usually just make people do, I suppose, as like a work of art. You can make a machine as a work of art. But generally speaking, we make machines to do stuff for us, to do a particular task. And so if we think about ourselves as machines, then we think that we are made to do a particular task. And so if we're not doing that or we're not having some kind of output, then we feel unvaluable. And I think that's a pretty pervasive kind of message that we have in the back of our heads. But I think as Christians, we have to affirm that God doesn't value us for what we do, right? He creates us. We're in his image. He loves us. And we are capable of great things. We're capable of being fruitful in Christ. But all of that is, is never founded upon that being our actual value. Because our salvation is not dependent on our own effort, we would, as Christians, we would never look at someone who wasn't productive. It's kind of an important part of our ethical system that we look at children and people who are disabled, and we still think they're valuable, right? Because they are made in the image of God. And that's also true of us, right? We, we can do things and be fruitful, but our fundamental value is not in that. And it's in – I love um, – there's a little phrase in an E.E. E. Cummings poem. He talks about a human merely being. And as humans merely being, we are valuable and valued by God. And I think the irony of if you resist the kind of idea that you're only valuable for what you produce and you accept that you're fundamentally loved and valued as a human being, you then actually become more fruitful. That's, that's the ironic thing, at least I've discovered in my own life, is the more that I resist the message of needing to be productive – the more fruit I actually see in my life because I am kind of dwelling in the vine that makes me fruitful. That it's not about my own kind of difficult effort.
0: Uh, I was meeting with a friend this morning and he shared a dream that he had. He had a dream of sitting on the back porch and looking out into his backyard and he saw two big, huge, beautiful apple trees. He went up to them and and he picked the apples off and all of the apples were rotten it's all Tick. rotten fruit he went back to the porch and then he noticed a, a small little tree on the side that mm-hmm. didn't look significant at all but he went up to that one and that small tree had beautiful ripe fruit that you know he could enjoy and he could eat and you know it reminds me of a lot of what We have been talking about is that what we think is our fast productivity, our big, significant work sometimes bears bad fruit, even though we think it's going to be significant. And I reflected this morning about how, you know, Jesus came to Nazareth. He came in a a small backwoods town to a people that was subjugated by the, the ruling power and authority to, you know, and had thirty years of hiddenness before mm. he even came onto the scene. And that the small hidden mm. nature of God that produces really good fruit, that's God we're talking about. And if mm. he can do it and be small and hidden for mm. a long time and bear incredible fruit, why can't we? How do we mm. how do we embrace the small. Is there any other metaphors that you have thought about and walked through that help us embrace the small and the hiddenness that produces beauty and fruit?
1: I just, I love that. And I think it's so, so important. And I think it's so important, especially right now, when I think a lot of people are really discouraged in their faith because they see, perhaps you could say really big trees that have rotten fruit, you know, that that we see big leaders that we've all that are kind of distant and far away from us, and then over the years you pick the fruit and you realize oh it's actually rotten and it could be really dis- distressing and discouraging. So I think that that kind of bringing us back to the small tree that bears much fruit is so important and encouraging and so essential just to remind us that it doesn't matter if we're the big tree if we have rotten fruit. You know that we need to have that that fruitiness. I'd rather be the tiny. I, I don't know. Uh, in the opening chat for my book, I actually talk about this tiny apple tree that had exactly—and I'm not kidding—the the three summers I was there, it would bear exactly six apples. Some one year, five, and they were amazing, but they were just six or five. So that that very much resonates with my my lovely little apple tree. Whereas the other apples were all very sour, and you could only cook with them. So so metaphors for the small one of the things I guess what comes to my mind when you first said that is how often Jesus talks about seeds. You know, I think about the, the mustard seed that grows into this large tree where birds can rest in it. I I love that image of, of it's not just that it's a huge tree. That's cool, but it's also the sense that it becomes a haven for the creatures of the sky. And, and also, you know, the metaphors of the, the sower and Seeds are just a, a continual kind of metaphor, uh, which are probably related to trees, right? That that sense of of being something that grows into something large or something small. And if you've ever actually gardened, like seeds are crazy; they are amazing. Like you you put this little tiny thing in the ground, and depending on what plant you have, it can be huge by the end of the summer. And so I think sitting with those metaphors of of seeds and thinking about how you can kind of do stuff to encourage the seed, you can put it in the light, you know, you can water it. But ultimately, it is this just kind of miraculous thing that you do and then you sit with with patience and with faith and it, and it blooms. And so I think approaching our own life of faith in that way, thinking, okay, well, I, I can plant seeds in my life. I can put them by the window so they get sun and, you know, trash drown them with too much water or dry them out. But then at the end of the day, it is this process of uh you know, it's the passage in uh, I can't remember which epistle it is where it says, you know, Peter planted and I watered, but it is God who bears the fruit. I think thinking of our lives like that, remembering that all of the all the good works we do are something that we can plant, we can water, we can put in the sun. But they're always this miraculous thing, and trusting that trusting God with our seeds, with our tiny things, that we can nourish and nurture. But ultimately, it is it is God who causes it to grow and causes it to bear the fruit.
0: Yeah, so that's a metaphor. That's, that's really, I good. Love. Yeah, it's really good. Yeah, that's really good. That seed uh, reminds me, you know, unless this, this you this seed dies and falls to the earth and planted, then, it doesn't bear any fruit. And so, you know, dying to to ourselves is really important as well. You know, then, as you you walk through, you know, in your book, a lot of different metaphors. Yeah. Is there a a metaphor that was really that resonated with you that you wrote about that you were Dang. like, I? it's something that you gravitate to that you love?
1: So, I mean, to be honest, I loved writing this book. And with every metaphor that I wrote, I discovered things I wasn't expecting that really spoke to me personally. But I think that the chapter, and it's kind of a little bit more... Ambiguous in a way, but I think the chapter that really spoke to me personally at that point in my life when I was writing it was the metaphor of creation or change as birth, and that's something you see a lot in scripture. You know, uh, like when when Nicodemus uh, goes to Jesus and he says, "You have to be born again," and Nicodemus is like really puzzled by it because he's like, "Well, <clears throat> I don't know. Can I go back into the womb?" And that seems kind of intense. And there's various portions in scripture that explore that kind of theme of being reborn. Baptism is often described as kind of you're emerging from the waters of new birth, you know. But what's interesting to me too is that that is often tied up with, with something like death also. There's this kind of connection between new life, but also you die to yourself when you're born again. And it's interesting that Jesus is described as the firstborn over all creation. You know, the sense of that Christ also was born. So that, that kind of metaphor of birth. But then we also, we use that metaphor to describe either changes, often vocational changes. So things like getting married, getting ordained, having a child. All these things create big personal changes for us. And we usually use those metaphors to describe those changes. So we say, you know, she kind of had a rebirth, by which we mean somebody, you know, has changed. And I think actually meditating on that metaphor, thinking about it, thinking about actual birth, and thinking about there are two different sides of it. One side is when you're the person giving birth, because that is sometimes how the metaphor is used. But often it's you are the person being born. And there's this great beautiful kind of eerie song by an artist called oliver arnold's and he has a monologue read by this canadian artist and she talks about the experience of a baby being born like how kind of scary on some level it must be to go from this cozy safe dark warm place to light and people and breathing on your own and how how scary and terrifying that must be For a baby, but it's and so it must feel like death to a baby to be like shot out of the world that you've known and into this this new world, and that that's often how it feels for us when we go through big transitions. You know, you don't quite know what it'll be like. You're suddenly your environment changes, your sense of self changes, and there can be this kind of real trepidation that comes on the cusp of big life changes, like having a child or getting married or or entering a vocation that can. You can feel like you're going to shoot out of this warm place that you know that you understand into this much more vulnerable place. But that that kind of change and that kind of growth is also, in tying that metaphor, is necessary for survival, right? A baby can't stay in the womb forever. You do actually have to be born again. You do actually have to change. All of us one day will have to die and enter into eternal life, and that's terrifying. I think sitting with that and putting my finger on like, all these different kind of areas of life that can create fear, but also the beauty and the possibility of new life. That was a, that was a metaphor that was more complex to me, but it really spoke to me in thinking about how would big changes come when we feel like we're re- being reborn? It makes sense that we feel afraid, that we feel like who we are is, is kind of dying and being reborn again, but that that's something that Jesus has done, so we're not alone. You know, we do it in many little times in our life and ultimately we'll do it in our death and resurrection. And also that we actually have to be born again to survive. And so that that kind of gives us some bravery. So that was a, I know that may sound very heady, but that was something that really spoke to me in a kind of mysterious way while I was writing it.
0: As we're being reborn and we come into this new light and we're cold, we were in this embryonic fluid that it was very nice. We are nourished through this umbilical cord where you have all of your nutrients. You don't even have to, to drink or eat or do anything. It's just there for you. And then you're there in the light. I think you're right. We, we get afraid. We're scared. Yeah. You know, babies start to cry at the very beginning when they're exiting the womb. They're there trying to figure out, oh, how do we breathe? What's this yeah. new breath actually yeah. like? And so I think a couple of those things that you shared was really helpful to us, getting through the fear and Mm -hmm. stepping into the new to being born again. I think that was really beautiful. What are some of your hopes for your readers, the people that that get this book and to to walk through these metaphors? What do you hope that they get out of this?
1: One thing I hope that they get is just a renewed sense of how meaningful the world is. That God has made the world in such a way that when we look at the seasons or at light or at childbirth, that there are these a kind of strings of meaning that can help us speak about our spiritual lives and that they'll kind of approach both their interior and their exterior worlds with a sense of wonder. And with a sense of the way that God has made the world a meaningful place. And I also hope that it will just be a book that will give them resources to enrich their spiritual and imaginative life. I think a big part of the book is about how important it is to be able to speak about things, our, our spiritual lives, our experiences, and that metaphors help us do that. And as a part of that, I kind of at the end of every chapter, so the end of every meditation the metaphor, there are seven metaphors. I include kind of a section with with poems and essays and artwork and movies you can watch that kind of enrich those metaphors. They give you new ways to think about it. and so I hope people enjoy that and find that enriching their spiritual lives and I hope it also makes them reengage with scripture uh, with an eye toward the metaphorical and the poetical and and seeing how how richly uh, meaningful scripture is that you can return to it again and again and find new and rich. Um, depths and images to to think on
0: in every chapter you were you were looking for those movies and the music and the poems and the essays, the things that that stood out to you with those metaphors. How could we intentionally look for those as we are encountering those the, things in our lives? I think oftentimes people people watch a movie to escape and not to be having metaphor come at you to actually reflect on your life and and move into a new space. I like to do that, but some people just (laughs) want to escape, right? So how do we intentionally look at works of art to help nourish our lives and point us to a a better spiritual place Uh, in our relationship with God and our lives and each other?
1: Well, I want to say, first of all, that I do understand the impulse for uh, watching things or enjoying things for escape. And I, I I do it too, you know, I, I enjoy, I enjoy good escape TV or a, for me, it's often like I read a lot of mystery novels in my, uh, when I was in the depths of my study, that was kind of like my go-to escape thing. But I think that, I think there, I think a way to think about drawing meaning from it is just to have conversations about things with people or, you know, just talk, think about why do these things, Why do we enjoy these things? What do they speak to that makes me want to keep coming back to it? And I think I always just assume that the world is a meaningful place because there's a God who created it. And so whatever artwork or movie or people you're encountering, there's usually something about it that appeals to some human desire. Um, It scratches some itch. So I think just kind of having that question in your mind, a lot of people enjoy this. What is it about this that's appealing? What is What human need is this speaking to? And I think also when you're thinking from a ministry standpoint, that's also really important because a lot of times, even people who can't, who aren't really interested in the faith, still want to talk about the stories that they love. And so if you can kind of detect what it is in the stories and the TV that people watch, what it is that it's appealing to, that can be a great place to start conversations about the spiritual life.
0: That's really good. I hope people start to pay attention, uh, engage in, in metaphor, engage in the stories of their life that is coming at them. Because, Wait. hey, I want to let us be intentionally formed in our journey and not just unintentionally formed and <laughs> figuring out, hey, I'm going to wake up as a computer and hopefully I can recharge and get better. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I have a couple questions for you, Joy. Uh, one. If you go back to your twenty-one-year-old self, what advice would you give?
1: One general, one specific piece of advice. One specific piece of advice is I would tell her to do a more specific PhD thesis. Don't go global, go specific. Because you're, I know you're thinking too broad, and it will exhaust you. That would be my, that would be my, my, my cheat to have slowed myself down a little bit. My sweet advisor was was too encouraging. I did a a, a PhD which wanted to say everything about everything. So that's my, that would be my. Might, might cheat. And then the second thing I think I'd probably say is like, read more novels and uh, watch more TV because you won't have any time the rest of your life to do it. <laughs> I know that's probably not a very spiritual answer, but I think I would say You don't need to have that spiritual. That's great.
0: That's fantastic. Yeah. I Yeah. Just read more novels, watch more TV. Yeah. Uh, that's good <laughs> advice. That's great. Anything you've been reading or watching lately you could recommend?
1: Oh, that's a good question. Both of the things I've been reading and watching are mildly Dark, um, which is not my usual, but I have been. Hey, me too. I've
0: been watching some mildly dark things, so it's okay.
1: (laughs) I've been, so I've been reading a novel by Michelle Hellback, who's not like my norm. Someone gave me like the, the, he's a very, he's a French kind of nihilistic author about, you know, how people fail to find meaning in the modern world. And I thought, that's not my thing, but I'm interested in it. And so I've been reading the, the, the the map in his territory and actually really enjoying it has kind of like a weird dickens vibe of a slight satirization of culture and it has a lot more god in it than i was expecting for someone who's nihilistic talks a lot about wanting to pray and not being able to so that's intriguing i don't know if i recommend it but i'm i'm finding interesting and then i've been watching i've been watching through house md the the tv show which is a really interesting it's just fun it's interesting because it's kind of like a medical drama based in mystery novels but I also think it's a really fascinating portrayal of addiction, and a really—I think a, a weirdly realistic one. I don't think there's a lot of of why people return to things that they know will hurt them, even when they don't want to. And I think that is a fascinating question to ask. And it also is premised on two two things from the very first episode to the very last, which is that everybody lies and everybody dies. And so, uh, which I think is is a you know, that's a pretty good starting place for a Christian conversation, right? We have all sinned and we're all going to die. So what do you do with those two facts? So that's what I'm, I know. I want to know what you've been watching or reading.
0: Well, my wife uh, was watching House with my mother-in-law f- in yeah. the last month before she passed away. She passed away a week oh. ago. Um, oh. And my wife is her primary caregiver during that time <laughs> uh, as she was uh, passing away. And they... Watch House together, so that really something, that's so yeah. funny. It's a small isn't world, isn't that interesting? It is a yeah. small world. So I thought that was interesting. I'm like, ah, yeah. so yeah. And I was like, you were watching House, okay, yeah. So we started watching The Last of Us. Mm. You know, which still
1: haven't seen that,
0: which is really really good. And there aren't most of the the horror comes from other people and not from. Yeah the crazy zombies so there there are, <laughs> are less zombies in it that i than i thought there would be yeah. but i think it's it's really pretty fascinating show you know a, yeah so there was a lot of incredible things in that i really enjoyed the last of us good, you know. good. i didn't didn't think i would and it took us a while to actually start it um, but that was really good well joy how can people go out and get your book you are a tree And how can people connect with you? Where would you like to point people to?
1: So you can buy your tree and other metaphors to nourish life, thought, and prayer uh, anywhere that sells books. So um, Amazon, Barnes & Noble. If you're the sort that wants to support your local bookstore, you can buy it through bookstore.org. But anywhere you can can find books. And you can find me on the internet. I have my own podcast called Speaking of Joy. And then I have, you can just go to joyclarkson.com and that will redirect you to my Substack. So I have a weekly newsletter and I also teach at King's College London and am an editor for Plow Quarterly. So you can also find some of my writing in Plow uh, and then all the usuals like Instagram and Facebook and the website formerly known as Twitter.
0: I know, whatever we call it these days. Whatever it
1: is now, yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. Uh, One really, uh, yeah, last question. If if somebody had one extra day to spend anywhere in Scotland, where would you say they should spend a day in Scotland?
1: This feels like a very specific question.
0: It is very specific.
1: (laughs) I think... So I'm assuming that this person is probably going to spend a day in Edinburgh because they're already in Scotland. Uh, this is my hypothetical imagination.
0: That's a good hypothetical. So don't, not Edinburgh, somewhere else. Yes,
1: yeah, so not Edinburgh. I think I would do one of two things. Uh, and these are kind of simple and I'm just biased because it's where I spent a lot of my time. One would be to do a little trip up some of the, the fishing villages along kind of the North Sea side, So through struther and Crail and Pit and Weem where you have... They're very tiny, but they have really good fish and chips. And they have... Uh, there's a chocolate shop that I think is the basis for... At least in my mind, I think it's the basis for the novel, Club. And then there's also like little random like church sites where Celtic saints had their cells and stuff. So that's... And then end in, in St. Andrews, which is where I uh, did my degrees. And you can go look at the oldest golf course... And um walk around through a cathedral. So I think that's what I would do. That'd be like a, a pretty easy day. The other one would be I would just say go kind of like to the neck of the highlands and go to a few whiskey distilleries and check out some of the beautiful old towns. So what one of those two. I should say Sky, but I've never actually been to Sky, which is wow crazy All considering right. I live here. So I've got to do that <laughs> yeah, I know. Year. I'll work on it. <laughs> yeah,
0: you need to work on that. You need to go. Yes. Well, Joy, thank you for taking us into the world of metaphor and the, the poetic that'll help us truly live and to see our lives as as beauty, uh, that we could look at the amazement and the wonder of the everyday, that we could see and di- rightly discern which season that we're in, that we could put down our roots and that we can bear fruit in the right time, in the right season. Thank you that you helped us walk with the idea that we need people uh, to be able to do that to discern with that we could actually have our roots uh, with with people and not just a place, uh, and that we could look at rebirth and we could say we're we're going to be transitioning into a new season. And although it could be scary, that there's beauty and that it's necessary to be reborn to walk through those things. And thank you for joining us from scotland and uh so i just uh, hope that you have uh, an incredible time that people get your book you are a tree and then they start to apply this to our lives so that we can actually pay attention in a way <laughs> and not use bad metaphors for our life that deplete us but use metaphors that bring us beauty and joy so thank you joy
1: thank you really enjoy this conversation